Every life has a story, and every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story. They are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Welcome to another episode of Kingdom Stories. I'm Nathaniel Costia, and today I have with me a good friend, uh, Matt Rooker. He uh, serves as the executive pastor at One Church. It's also called the, the Light on the Hill because their church is in a beautiful spot um, overlooking the ocean. It is on top of a hill and it's just wonderful. Uh, Matt has eight children and he's a legacy builder, not only in his family. <laughs> he runs a lot of incentives and initiatives in the city uh, for young people. And it's just an honor to have him with us. Uh, welcome to our little humble show here, Thank uh, Matt. Thank uh, you for I've known me. you for about, I don't know, eight or nine years, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just, uh, I know your wife as well. She's shared a few times here as well, testimonies. And your boys and the girls, and obviously I see a lot of social media. <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. that. Thanks for coming. Thanks for um, on, on short notice. Thanks nah. for coming here. Honored to be here. We call this Kingdom Stories from Down Under because we um, we believe that you know the people in our city, the people that we journey with all the time, they've got tremendous stories, yeah. and these need to be heard. These need to be told. And you have a beautiful story. And uh, Thank you, I can't wait to hear where it all began for you. Did you grow up in Australia or in England? No, I, um, I grew up in the UK. Okay. So um, I was born in the Midlands in Wolverhampton. Okay. And, um, Wolverhampton? Wolverhampton, yeah. Oh, this is a football club. Uh, yeah, yeah, very good football club at the moment, but they never used to be for a long time. But they, did, they do have a rich history, don't they? Very rich history. They were probably, I think, one of the first... Um, English teams to win the European League, I think, at yeah. one point, back in the 70s or 60s. I can't remember, a long time ago. Mind you, they're st- doing pretty well at the moment in the Premier League. Yeah, they've got a good coach at the moment, so yeah. good manager. They're in Europe as well, aren't they? They're in yep, Europe. yep, I, I believe so. Um, I, I Obviously, coming over here, I haven't been able to follow them as much. <laughs> um, but yeah, my dad's a very avid Wolves supporter. Of course. Uh, but when they weren't doing so well, he was a Saints supporter first of Southampton, so because yeah. that's where he lives, you know. I think they played Southampton recently. <laughs> anyway, um, that's that's the only way we know England. Yeah, okay. right. we only know by football. the football clubs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's geography, history, everything. You the, know where it is. Those, those are the lenses that we look at. So, how old were you when you left England? Uh, I was eighteen when I came out. Also, oh, okay. So you grew up there. Yeah, pretty much grew up there. Um, I I lived in Wolverhampton till we were about, I think, uh, my I was six. My sister was about uh, seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, when we moved down to Southampton, my parents uh, got divorced. Oh. And um, yeah, so after the divorce, lived down there for um, up until I think the age I was about 10 or 11 years old. With your mum? Yeah, with my mum. My mum met a, uh, another man. Um, he became my stepfather. My dad um, obviously met a, another woman, yeah. and um, they we didn't see my dad for for a long time, and we consequently moved up to the north end of England again, up to Redditch, which is near 
Birmingham area. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So you grew up first in Wolves, uh, Wolverhampton, and then in Southampton. Yeah. What was it like uh, being in England as a kid? It was actually, um, I, I really do have good memories of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think part of the the issue was the the transition, I suppose, from because uh, as you know, England's really varied in in its even though it's such a small country, it's vast amount of difference between yeah. different regions. So um, coming from Wolverhampton to Southampton, it was a very kind of sort of posh area and everything. It yeah. was a uh, good, is in Chalmers Ford. Um, and then um, moving there back up to Redditch, yeah. um, it wasn't a fun time because I had this different accent and uh, everyone thought that you you know, you're a bit posh. Or, okay. or whatever and it was hard to make friends but you know got there in the end <laughs> yeah were you playing football were no I didn't didn't play cricket? football no I, I didn't I didn't really do a lot of sport when I was when I was younger um, the my fondest memories of, of sport is just playing just playing soccer on the on the fields mm-hmm. um, but hated rugby because in February the ground is rock solid and <laughs> uh, when you fall on that stuff you, you feel just, it you feel it, you just get gashed up, so. Wow. Yeah. And then, uh, what happened then? You, um, what brought you to Australia? Well, it's, the funny thing was, was that um, when I was living in, in Redditch, and that's where I did sort of like uh, middle school and high school. Yeah. I had a friend who uh, I met when I was, uh, uh, you know, uh, in year, year 10 or year nine, year 10, yeah. And we, we really got on well. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came out to Australia with his mum when he was um, he was turning 16. And we kept the friendship open. So they moved here. Yeah, so they moved here. They moved uh, down to Belden, down in, uh, um, just down the road here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he always said, come over. Um, but, you know, it was, um, it was... A friendships all evolved around the one thing, you know, and that was and that was drugs. Um, so we we kind of um, didn't really do anything else but uh, hang out and do drugs together. And then when we came out to the uh, to Australia, when I came out to Australia, we were still knocking around doing the the same. Was it heavy stuff or more smoking, Mariana pot? Oh, or more. It started. It started off with obviously first with cigarettes, yeah. then um, went into marijuana. I mean, it started started young, around about um, twelve, thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, was and, it common? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's extremely common. I mean, I was very kind of sheltered living down the south. Yeah. But then when I moved up to the north of England, and uh, it was everywhere. Access everywhere, and soon not, as you not get expensive, that, you could get hands your hands on it. No, it wasn't expensive at all. Um, and a lot of the guys I was hanging around, because I was kind of like rejected by a lot of the sort of popular popular kids, I kind of like hang around with the guys that people just left alone. Yeah. And uh, obviously they weren't like, they weren't bad guys. No, do you know no. what I mean? But they like, obviously they're all involved and they had, you know, um, broken backgrounds and that as well. So we kind of like were all broken people hanging out together and yeah. And you know, and that's where we kind of find a tribe, you know. Was it alcohol as well, or not so much? More huh. drugs. Yeah, just anything really, anything that can just sort of like take your mind off, take your mind off stuff, or um, you know, just having a laugh. So we would, 
you know, get cider and, and all that kind of stuff and just, you know, I'm talking the rocket fuel stuff that's like yeah. 9% or whatever like that. Um, we would just all be involved drinking, smoking weed. and But then our lives just slowly evolved around, you know, the weekend or where you can score and which mates have got it and, and everything like that. And that didn't really uh, stop for a, for a big part of my life. But uh, I think really with... Um, you know, really with not having dad in the focus, yeah, um, and and a, a stepdad around. He, he was a good man. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But um, you kind of like you, you kind of feel a bit of a lost anchor, if you know what I mean. There's yeah. nothing, no one grounding you, or and you don't feel that same kind of connection with a stepdad as you do with your own father. Sure. Um, and so, obviously, I felt more of a connection with the guys that I hung around with. And did you have that awareness at the time, or not really? Um, the only awareness that I had um, was that I didn't fit in. I, I mean, obviously, when you're kind of part of a blended family, um, it's your mum, but it's a different father, and then there's a. There's a there's a sister as well, but she's like you know half sister. I mean, she's my not sister. Really. Yeah. Not really your sister, but she's your, your sister. sister yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is that you intuitively recognise that you're no longer sort of part of the family, but you are. If you know what I mean, you feel yeah. this kind of disjointedness, and um, not only that, but when I was you know starting to turn into adolescence and stuff like that, um, some of my behaviours and uh, the way I was you know, growing, um, you would have like, um, you know, mum say like, you know, oh, you're just like your father. Well, I don't know who that is. Yeah. So you're kind of being compared against something that you have no reference point for. Mm. And then, you know, by the time I got to kind of 14, 15, my dad got back in contact after about seven years. I was going to ask, where, where, was, where did dad get back in, into the picture? Yeah, so, yeah, when I was about 14. Um, was he living nearby? No, he, he was still in Southampton mm-hmm. um, and he was like a successful businessman. He yeah. um very busy man. Um, but at the time we re-engaged with him, me and my sister, he was also into all that scene as well. So, um, you know, I, uh, I connected with him when I was 14, kind so of 15. So both you and your sister mm. have the same father? Yeah, same father, but my... Other sister, yeah, um, yeah. So me and my sister, and then there's my my half sister as well. Is that a true half sister? Was she born by your mum? Yeah, yeah, born by my mum. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so it was kind of like um, it was a bit of a shock meeting him afterwards. So he years. came back. He came to visit you up north. Yeah, he he reached out to my mum and wanted to to meet up. Yeah, and uh, I think I don't know whether it was arranged by mum or whatever like that because yeah. of what was happening. Um, with um, me at school and and the and the drug use and that and but uh, when I first met him it was like in a hotel in uh, near near Birmingham I think it was yeah. and uh, as soon as I met him he pulled out a big bag of weed and said you know roll up or whatever and that I thought he was just the coolest person right there did yeah. he smoke with you or did yeah he yeah smoke he smoked with us and. Um, you know, when I... Uh, so that's why you looked like your dad. That's why you were doing things that your dad was doing. <laughs> well, the thing is, I don't think he ever, like, used to be involved in all that. Yeah. But I think with the family that... Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a strange story. Uh, 
because when my mum and dad divorced, right, mm-hmm. it was because my dad was cheating with another woman down in Southampton. My mum found out and she confronted him and they got divorced. Okay. So I then, we used to for a time visit my dad, you know, have shared, but then, you know, he, he wouldn't rock up or he wouldn't show up sometimes. And then he says, oh, next week or he'd forget birthdays. And so you gradually grew apart. Grew apart. But then also there was a court case over maintenance. So my dad was able to prove that his business was not, not profitable well. and he the courts awarded me and my sister five pence each a year maintenance for my dad, yeah. So uh, the the businesses, but he was still driving around in, in luxury vehicles and stuff like that, but the businesses were all in his, his new wife's name. Okay. And then, um, so there was this whole other dynamic of a family that we would come and visit and be a part of. And I had cousins on that side yeah. and, like, and everything. But then coming back um, seven years later, I'd found out that my dad had divorced this lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second. Second one and had an affair with her sister. Oh. Yeah. And then um, her sister uh, divorced her husband. To got, be with him. To be with him. And then consequently the one he um, divorced um, became a lesbian. Oh. And uh, my step-cousins became my stepsisters, and my stepbrothers and sister became my step-cousins, and they all worked for my dad's company. Mm-hmm. It's one big happy family, which was just... <laughs> messed it, up. It was just messed up and bizarre, and they're all into this scene as well. You know, the, the, the older girls were all into, you know, drug culture and everything, and dad was all involved. And so... A um, couple of years later on from 14, 15, um, my dad uh, was obviously reaching out to us and I was not, I was almost coming to blows with my stepdad mm-hmm. and I, I decided to leave home. So I left home at 16 and lived with my sister. She'd already moved out. And then, same area? Same kind yeah, of Yeah, yeah, just in a little apartment. You still went to school? Um, no, I'd left school by then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at 16, I left home. 17, I was still kind of, um, you know, turning 17 with with my sister living on a couch and that. And then I reached out to my dad. And uh, at the same time as well, that guy who came over to Australia, Andy, he um, reached out about getting in contact again. So we yeah. kept contact. And I went to live with my dad down in Southampton and work for his company. Mm-hmm. What were you doing? So it was in industrial job services. So uh, anything from sandblasting, um, old gas um, tanks, um, worked at the Ford Eastley plant as well, um, doing clean up and shut down operations, anything kind of industrial that needed refabrication or cleaning or whatever like that. We were involved, army kitchens, just, just so many different things. It was really good money. Yeah, and um, that's uh, were you saving anything? No, and and that that was part of the problem because, uh, you know, I'm not trying to dishonor my dad. My dad wasn't in a good place. He's he's not like that now, but yeah, um, he wasn't in a good place, and um, you know, uh, he got uh, onto cocaine, and um, he was really um, struggling during yeah. that time in his life, and. Uh, I was involved in that as well, so I got onto cocaine as well with him. Um, Expensive drugs. Yeah, I mean, well, in the UK, it's relatively cheap if you're earning good money, but um, obviously, 
Australia was a saving grace and I think my dad saw that as well so he was like I'll pay for you to go out there and be with your mate and then got me on a work visa helped me sort out my visa and uh, I think it was the best best decision. You were about 18 when you came here? Yeah I I came here in November 1997 okay when I was 18 years I just turned 18 in September and uh, came to live with my mate over here in, in Belden. Nice. Yeah. So escaped the UK. Yeah. So uh, you came to Australia, um, fresh off the boat, but off the plane this time. Yeah. Um, uh, ready to, to make a new life. Not really considering going back, but more just opening up to the new season of your life here. Yeah, I'd, I'd always wanted to travel around and I'd always wanted to come to Australia ever since I was like about eight or nine years old. Did you leave everything behind? Did you know that you weren't going back? Did you come to, to, to move here or did you come just to see what it was like? It's, it's hard to explain really, but I kind of I've always wanted to come here and I knew I'd meet someone out here. Mm-hmm. I just, I, it's just an intuitive thing that yeah, I yeah. knew. And um, my mum at the time knew that I wasn't coming back. So she she felt that uh, that I wasn't coming back, and uh, you know that's uh, so saying goodbye to her at the time it was pretty hard for her. But I was just like, yeah, let's, it's an adventure, you know. Yeah. So it was great. And um, was it your first overseas trip as such? Yeah. So oh, apart from going to Spain, yeah, went on holiday, but they don't count. First across, going across Spain the world is, by myself. Another that's right. right. It's a holiday. Yeah. It's a weekend away. And what, what job did you have when you came to Perth? What did you begin doing? Well, my friend had uh, got me a job at the local supermarket in Joonla, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Woolworths now. It used to be called a Vantage Supermarket. Okay. And uh, I worked there in the dairy section, just, you know, stacking shelves or, or whatever like that. And uh, that was it, really. We were just hanging out together and... Um, still smoking weed over here, but obviously the cocaine wasn't in the mix. So relatively still um pretty clear headed mm-hmm. you know over here new hobbies beach surfing no no it's still it's still just evolved around drugs that was career not not thinking about schooling or nothing no. or... it was just a daze everything was just a daze mm-hmm. you know it was just where can we score yeah where's the next party yeah that's all it was and that's all my focus what was. was your first car in australia oh my goodness that wasn't until a long time. I think first car was a uh, Nissan Datsun Bluebird, which was a horrible car. No power steering. No power steering. <laughs> no aircon. My wife had one of those too. They were they were just shocking. They were a curse, those cars. Yeah. <laughs> Mind you, those were the days. Yeah. You could drive them then still. And when did you meet Haley? Well, I met Haley um, after New Year's. So the beginning, I think it was... Uh, yeah, the beginning of uh, 1998. Oh, so very soon. Very soon. I met her in the supermarket. So she was one of these ladies who come out and do demonstrations. Yeah. So she was doing Demonstration Plus and she was doing for ice cream. Okay. And uh, obviously being ice cream, it was near my section mm-hmm. and I love ice cream. So I just uh, started talking to her. Um, she approached me first and then it was like saying, you know, where can I put a bucket of ice and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So I showed her and then I got talking to her. We found out we had a mutual friend at the um, supermarket. Yeah. And uh, also uh, she only lived around the corner from me in Belden. 
And she was from England as well. She was from England as well. She came out here when she was 13. So, okay. Yeah. And she was about the same age as you? She's a couple of years older. Okay. So, like 18 months, same age as my sister. So, she's, okay. yeah. And uh, how did you invite her out? Well, I, um, funny story. So, being at my mate's house, uh, I, I saw her the next day anyway, and we got, got um, you know, got talking and started hanging out. I was going out with someone else at the time, um, but obviously that relationship finished pretty much straight away. And then um, <clears throat> my uh, my friend's mum uh, found weed in my pocket uh, from doing the washing. It was really my mate's, but you know I took the rap for it. It's hanging on, hanging on to it for him. And uh, yeah, she booted us out. So I, I was in Australia. Both of you? Uh, no, just, just me. You. In Australia, I had no home, nowhere to go. And uh, the plan was to start traveling around Australia to do what I was supposed to be doing, and that's working around doing the harvest trail. Okay. Um, and I told Haley that day, I remember telling her, and she's almost bursting into tears, and uh, she said she'd come with me. And her parents, uh, they were amazing. They allowed me to stay two weeks at her house while they're on holiday. Wow. And then we went off down south, um, southwest and started doing fruit picking together okay. and uh, we were sharing we were in backpacker hostels yeah. and we we basically uh, did cauliflowers and tamarillos and kiwis and all Man's that different, oh yeah yeah it Man's was place. it was and but uh, obviously we were both into the same things um, okay. before we left you know uh, her her brother was a DJ in the nightclubs in Perth yes so very much was involved in those kind of things and music was a passion of mine as well um, especially like uh, raves and stuff mm-hmm. uh, were you playing anything no I, I I didn't not then it wasn't until much later that okay. I started getting involved in that but as I was saying we you know we would smoke weed and and uh, especially down in Manjimut there was plenty of it down there yeah yeah and uh, yeah we got engaged on a farm down there I saw that photo on Facebook, eh? Yeah, very young then. You had a, a bottle in your hand and something else in the other? Were you yeah. smoking? As yeah, well? I was smoking that as well. In a singlet? Yeah. Didn't even dress up? No, I didn't even dress up. It was, it just, was just like, well, that was the night because we were just working. We got engaged on a farm while we were fruit packing, yeah. fruit, uh, cauliflower. Do you actually remember it or were you totally out? No, I, I remember it. I, I, I remember um, those things, I, you know, because those are big moments. That, you yeah, know, of they, course. But um, they, as I said, the, the day-to-day stuff of what's happening is no. a bit of a blur when you're stoned. But um, <laughs> we, we got engaged down there and, and then we came back up to Perth. Um, you know, we, got, we came back up to Perth and then we were married in September that, that year. So. And her parents were okay with all this? Yeah, well, their parents were very kind of like uh, supportive um, because Haley, when she came to Australia, she told her mum and dad that she was going to marry an Englishman even okay. though she was out here and he would only live around the corner. So this is how like bizarre some of this stuff gets. And then yeah. when she met me that day, she went home and told her mum, she said, I've met the man I'm going to marry. And wow. that was it. She knew. She just knew. And... That's the thing, you know, when I That's saw... That's scary, her, a little bit. Oh, it was. Well, she, she made a... Look, you were a victim of her, well, <laughs> her doings. She was the first woman I could hold eye contact with, 
Whoa. you know i could like stare at her in the eyes and it was like everything else disappeared you know and um i hadn't been able to do that and it was um you know the first first woman i could spend time with and not use and move on yeah. to the next one i just wanted to be with her you know and uh it was just was she just understanding did she get you or was she caring um affectionate she's just one of the most loving and um easy going people that i'd ever met you know mm -hmm. and she she was very solid in who she was she had a good yeah grip. she had, she had a good grip of who she was she was very secure yeah um and you know i was a very insecure puppy mm -hmm. and uh she i suppose in a way she kind of made me feel safe in in that she sort was of mature sense. as well very very mature you know she was obviously older than me as well yeah but um at the same time the fact that she wanted to come on the adventure um she she wanted to just be with be with me yes. and it was scary because obviously with my history with my parents i remember yeah. even you know starting to panic just before the wedding you just did. like yeah just like <gasps> i was gonna say why did you get married how could you get married I yeah mean, after all you know the background you know of your of your life story it was Haley's mum and dad that actually really showed me that a marriage could last um, I mean my nan and granddad were together all their years but just seeing another couple that yeah you know the way they would interact with each other that they still loved each other it was very still much. common for people to just live together right it wasn't I mean marriage wasn't a huge priority no, that's right. And, you know, obviously, we didn't come from a, a background where, you know, Christian or anything like that. Yeah. So so the family value wasn't really there. No, it's not like, you know, well, you save yourself for when you're married or whatever yeah. like that. And and part of the part of the thing was Hayley was said, well, I don't want to be with anyone else. And we, we just said, and, and, and I think I had to answer the question, you know, what if? Yes. And the, the question, what if, was really powerful because it was like, well, what if this is the one? What if taking a chance, you know, will I always be left with feeling what if if I walked away from it just because I'm yeah. insecure, just because I'm scared? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that was the leap of faith that I had to take for love. And yeah. um, in that, that's, you know, how our adventure Began, I suppose. So, what were you working in town while you were, well, you you got married? So, obviously, you were doing the farming and the fruit picking, but then yeah. you came back to town yeah. and uh, you got married. Yeah. So we s s came back up to town, got married up in uh, in Hillary's Boat Harbour. Nice. Um, I managed to uh, get an apprenticeship at Woolworths, being a butcher. Okay. Um, so that was that was good, but I was prepared to do anything. Sure. Um, and what was she doing? She was still doing like um, different kind of temping jobs, mm -hmm. office jobs. So, I mean, we're two young people, disposable income. We got a. a rental. Did you live with? No, I was going to say, did you live with your in-laws or you left lived on your own? No, we we lived with them for a bit, and then when we got married, we went into our own um, place and uh, just in Belden there and. Uh, Lived there for, for quite a few years, up until I was about 20, 22, I think. So when was your first child born? Not until I was 23, I think. Yeah, okay. 23. So 2002. Okay. Um, and uh, So a couple of years into your marriage kind of thing. Yeah, so it was, it was at least... Um, so I was married the day after my 19th birthday. 
So it's almost oh, like four young. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that was a leap of faith, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, <laughs> I, and that's it. I, and I always, I always thought I'd be the last person to get married. Yeah, I never thought I'd, I'd get married because I was too busy with just, you know, playing the field and yeah. not having any commitments. You know, so. Yeah. Wow, and then uh, your son was born. Yeah, my son was born. I was. Um, I was actually working for John Hughes at the time in Victoria Park. Selling cars? Selling or? second-hand cars. Break. He's a good man. He is. He was a very good man, actually. Yeah. Not not got a bad word to say about him. He also helped out um, our family at one time as well. Yes. So, um, great guy. And, uh, yeah, so I was working there. And we moved into a new house into Mirawa. Yes. Um, and I kind of toned down a bit from there. Yeah. My, my years... Prior, those four years prior, yeah. was very much involved in the club scene, learning how to DJ and, and drum and bass music um, in the clubs on the weekends and stuff. And like I said, work was a means to an end. You still live for the weekends, even as a married man and as a father. Yeah, yeah, they, they, come, they come around very quickly now, yeah. every Sunday. <laughs> yeah. So, um, then you carried on like this. When did the light bulb switch on for you about life and eternal life and the meaning of life oh look at it at a young age i was i was very much um had a kind of bit of a christian input Mm -hmm. um because in the uk as you know like when i was in school you'd have hymns in the morning and okay uh, yeah and and you'd sing songs and i knew of jesus but it wasn't like part of my life in that way we didn't go to church or anything yeah uh, I think the first time that I really got an inkling of, of something was uh, when I was about, I think I must have been about five or six years old and mm-hmm. sitting in a primary school yep. and the teacher was reading the nativity story Yes. and uh, cutting out these paper doily snowflakes or whatever they were. Yeah. And uh, she shared this, this one, one passage that said, you know, the angels appeared and said, oh, good news of great joy. To you this day in David's town, there will be a saviour born. Wow. And um, this whole kind of sense, oh, wow, there's a saviour. Uh, and I can't explain it, but there was just like this kind of warmth and joy. Yes. And and um, I never forget that moment, you know. It was, it was, it was really, it really stands out to me. Yeah. But then obviously with the divorce and with all the other things and the transitions and that um, I went to a Catholic school mm-hmm. uh, when I was in high school yep. and that kind of put me off God. Um, yep. Studied the Book of Mark um, and, and all that kind of, but I, I felt that Christianity was just a, a tool to brainwash the masses and extract money, that the Catholic Church was the most evil kind of organization yep. and, you know, and I was very much into the... found enough evidence for that and ammunition. Well, well, yeah, I, I, I think the whole um, environment within the, within the um, Catholic school, um, you know, you deal with nuns and fathers yeah. and, and stuff like that. It was just so foreign. Yeah. And I just, you know, and it felt like hypocrisy because you say all these different things, but yeah. there's nothing really there. It's just show. Yeah. Know? So, yeah. That kind of put me off. And then I was very much, my, my parents, uh, my mum and stepdad, very much into the new age. Oh. So um, in my early teens, we would go to Glastonbury Festival. I'm not talking about the rock concert one. I'm talking about the 
it's a windy cold hill with a bunch of 50 or 100 hippies yeah you know bringing in the winter solstice and the summer solstice oh. and all that kind of stuff and uh really evil yeah yeah i won a frisbee competition once at a new age festival so that was pretty pretty fun but um yeah the all the alternate stuff yeah. you know all the conspiracy stuff all the alternate stuff um and i kind of i i when i got to you know um that period between sort of like 18 to kind of uh 20 23 24 i, I was very much on the kind of buddhism pathway very much you know purposes enlightenment but i always felt this kind of sense that i knew that I need to be a better human being or yeah. I need to be better, but this in inability yeah. to kind of just keep it together and keep on track. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, just, and obviously with the drugs, you know, you, you open up your mind to all sorts of kind of different views and different yeah. realities. And uh, so I had a really messed up kind of worldview mm -hmm. where everything was a contradiction yeah. and uh, there was nothing really solid. No. It was just all a mishmash of all these different religions and all religions are right, you know, and yeah. all this kind of... So it was it was a mess. But you did have a good anchor in your wife in Haley. So your home life was very solid. Your relationship with your wife was very solid. With the children coming along, that was solid. Responsibility was coming into your life as well, wasn't it, as a father? Mm -hmm. When did you click that... Your responsibility as a father is vital to the children. Um, it's embarrassing to say this, um, but not until I was probably in my late 30s. Oh, I believe that. Yeah. Um, the fact was that even though I had this responsibility of having a child and, you know... Uh, and by then you would have had a number of children already. Yeah. So Danny came around, and don't get me wrong, you know, I love, love my kids and everything, but I was still messed up and i didn't have an identity as a, as a father no you know not I, I, I was still this kind of still this kind of teenager inside experiencing fatherhood yeah you know and um i knew i had to do the right thing so i, I would work and i would provide and all these yeah. kind of things but uh i would still be looking to escape Mm -hmm. Still be looking to to do drugs and still hang around with Haley's brother and do DJing and and then I got into drinking and um, you know that that to me started a kind and of Haley was very solid in her motherhood. Yeah, time. that's all she ever wanted to be. She just wanted to be a mother. Did she want the kids more than you did? I I think so. I mean, I mean, I for me it was just foreign concepts. Yeah. It was just like fatherhood or I, I didn't kind of ex experience it that way my granddad was my best reference as a okay. kind of father figure mm -hmm. but for her it just it was just so natural you know and um i think i put her through a lot because no matter what she did or no matter what job i did or i i never seemed to be happy yeah and even with the kids you know it i would still you know, leave her at home with the kids or, or whatever like that. So, but when you're in that, it's just life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You don't know there's no, a better no. way. So you're just experiencing it. So uh, you you had three, four, five children by then? Yeah. So um, we, I had about uh, three kids and uh, 
we'd moved after the first one danny came along we'd um about six months later told you we'd already moved into Merowa, and then yep. about another six months later and another house came up yep in butler yes and then we moved to butler and uh, were you buying or were you renting just renting still yep. uh new area i started work with d virgilio group and um you know doing you know getting pretty solid yeah. Um, in, 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 in money coming in, but finance is still a mess. Not not really having a clear plan or yeah, yeah. not having any kind of structure in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was holding the house together. Yeah, she was she was an amazing mum. She 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 was my stability. Yes. So she was like the, the grounding. Mm-hmm. And she would support me in whatever I did yeah. and wanted to do. But uh, she also now had other priorities as well. Yeah. And and so we would still party. Like, we would yeah. still, you know, be smoking weed and, you know, uh, drinking and, and partying. We'd occasionally, you know, be involved with um, taking, you know, speed on the weekend and stuff like that when we we go out. But uh, we, we started to see an earlier stage with yeah. the young kids that... We didn't want to really be in that lifestyle because we saw other families that were all involved in that, yeah. and it was like it was pretty horrendous, yeah. you know. And still feel, you know, God's leading through all of it. Looking back, yeah. Um, but I was just becoming more and more kind of uh, depressed and um, turning to alcohol, and and on the outside everything looked good, yeah. Uh, you know. And Were you keeping in touch with your parents back in England? Yeah, I was, but it was a very fractured relationship. I, um, at one time during between the age of you know that that, that sort of like uh, nineteen to to twenty four, I, I think I must have been around about twenty one. I, I went back to the UK mm-hmm. to work for um, I think it was three months to earn a lot of money to pay off debts that I accrued here. And then, were you in a relationship with Heidi? You were. You were even yeah, married. Yeah. Oh, you were married. Yeah. Married, and I came over here for three months. The kids weren't on the scene then. Yeah. And um, you know, it was a big thing um, because obviously, I think her parents might have been worried that I wasn't going to come back and just leave it yeah. here. Uh, but I, I earned the money, paid off. Um, so it worked. Yeah. So it worked. Um, but I, I bought back one of my English uh, Visa debit cards, and oh. it was connected to my dad's account. And I just just started. It would work over here, and it was when uh, you know the chips had just started. Yes. So this thing, I thought, like, this is great. It's, it's broken. It's free money. Yeah. And then I get a phone call a few few uh, months later. What the is going on? Like, I've just been given a bill from my bank manager for like you know must have been like about five thousand pounds or something like yes. that. You know that I've been just buying stuff. And that really damaged our relationship, really fractured it. So didn't really speak to dad. He thought I was just a waste of space and taking advantage, you know. Mm. And he was like getting himself sorted, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it was his struggle and then your struggle and it's just everything. Just mess. Everything was just mess. So when did the light come on for you? When did you click? I was working at DBG Group and um, I had... Selling cars? Selling cars. I had... uh, Guy called Tim Rose. Um, so he invited me to go to church. Was he a salesman, or he was in the group with you? He was in the yeah, yeah. He was in new cars. He said, "Just come along to church," and it was uh, Morley Revival Fellowship, if I remember rightly. Okay. And uh, went there for the day. It was at with, Ap- 
with your wife or just no, yourself? just by myself. My, Hallie wasn't interested in yeah. in church or anything like that. And we actually we'd been invited when I was a apprentice butcher. We got invited once to Churchlands, okay, and uh, by one of the butchers there went and we went to a home afterwards and we never went. We just wasn't interested, you yeah. know. We'd, yeah. I just said yes because someone invited me, you know. I was so did you go to Churchlands or you didn't? Yeah, I went to Churchlands just once. Went to a cell group afterwards because they had yes. home groups afterwards. Went there nothing. and nothing. I just you know, um, it was all very nice. It was a bit weird. People yeah. waving flags and. Yeah. Jumping around and shouting. Oh, that's a bit weird. I hope this finishes just quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just exited there. Um, but yeah, then I got invited uh, uh, April the 6th, 2004. Okay. Uh, I remember the day because it's on my certificate. I responded to the message there. Anyone want to get baptized? Um, got baptized on that day there. Instantly. Instantly. They had a, a pool there. They had a, like, it's weird. It's like a coffin full of water. I don't know. It's just, it was... Like center. what would happen? And I didn't. I had no reference point for any of this stuff. Yes. So we was in the message. Uh, that they were so in the service. Wife, no one's there. Your wife, no, none. Your wife's of not there. It's just me by myself. You don't have up. a change of clothes. No, they gave you a pair of shorts and a t-shirt to wear. You know. Okay. But um, yeah, I went, and the service was kicking off, and one guy stands up and speaks in tongues. I didn't yeah. know it was tongues back then. And then another lady stood up and said what was just like spoke out what was said and and then it was like a real kind of powerful atmosphere in there yeah. you know so i responded and baptized came so out they made the an altar call and you went to the front yeah went to the front do you remember what took you to the front or was we no. do you know what was happening or it's all blurred it's all blurred like my mind is were you on all, drugs or were you i wasn't on drugs then um i was i was it was a saturday uh, sunday morning yeah. Um, and uh, I, I planned to go there, do you know what yeah. I mean? Because he'd been asking me, so I rocked up. And um, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know what, I just draw, I just felt I just needed to respond. Yeah. And and so I went there. They baptized me in the water, came out speaking in tongues. Instantly. Instantly. And uh, never went back to that church again. Wow. Yeah, so, <laughs> and the guy is like. You got your money's worth. Oh, man. The guy is just hounding me. Like the, the following weeks going like, you've got to get into fellowship. You got. To. I said, no, look, I've got my Bible. I'm, I'm the fine now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, was, I say, no, it's fine. Like, I'll be good. I've got my Bible because I still wanted it on my, my terms. Yeah, yeah, of course. I responded to a salvation message. Yeah. Had an experience. And then I kind of ran with it by myself. Did you pray afterwards or did you do anything after? Yeah, I would still, I would uh, have tongues yeah um, so you'd practice your tongues <laughs> yeah I, I would speak in tongues because it was just it was just but then what happens is your mind starts to tilt because you're thinking have i just lost the plot or yeah. do you know what i mean and i was reading reading the bible and i thought i was being good yes. you know i thought i was being a, a good this is what a christian should do but then two weeks later they're all around drinking uh, at the dealership after work and you know i hadn't had a drink for two weeks yes. and uh uh, they said, "Oh, come on, you know, like you're a good Christian boy drinking? now." Yeah, well, that all, all the boys used to drink after work, and know? they would drink. Uh, uh, Tim, Tim didn't drink. No, okay, Tim he, didn't. he was like teetotal. Yeah. But um, they, it sounds really strange, but they were like because they saw like Tim has made me his disciple or whatever yeah. like that. They were trying their best to get me to drink again and, and okay. be like what I was. I remember my even my my manager sitting me in the office and saying because I wasn't selling cars anymore like I oh, couldn't I was trying not to lie yeah and he and he said Matt you've got to get this Jesus 
out of your head. Out of your head. Like, get back in the game. Stop, you know, get rid of all this crap, you know. And so he was like kind of like a sort of father figure to me, yeah. like going through the dealership. And uh, then, you know, on, the, on, on that, like a Friday night, we'd have drinks and stuff like that. Yes. Been two weeks, so I've had a drink. And, um, and uh, I think from there, yeah, I just started to escalate into an even worse state than I had before um, getting baptized or whatever like that. I remember um, then trying to get a more paying, high paying job because of mismanaging finances, all this, all this business. The high, uh, the high paying job involved going to the mines. Yeah. And obviously I couldn't pass a urine test. Um, <laughs> and so I got my mate to change, to, to do one for me. Yeah. And I, you know, I kind of snuck it in, in my, my pants. Yes. Tipped it in the vial while they were watching you. Yeah. And I managed to get into the mines. And then it was when I was in the mines um, that I really started to suffer with anxiety. And yeah. that that was something on my radar I never expected. Yeah. You know, just that kind of crippling feeling and not knowing something's not right, you know. And uh, I got out of the mines. You know, my kids went into hospital while I was in the mines. Um, and so I think that's what triggered it because I was... Yeah. I couldn't do anything. I was miles away, so I, um, they, I said afterwards, I said I've got to leave. So, left, came back into the car industry, but back into the alcohol and yeah, and drugs for so years, years, years were going by again. Yeah. So, did it, you tell Heidi about this this experience? Oh end? yeah, she knew because when I came back from the mines on one of my breaks, I couldn't be out in public. Like I would just. Like, I remember being in Whitford City Food Court yeah. saying to her, like, you've got to get me out of here. I've got to go. Like, yeah. it was just too much. Everything was too much. She would sit with me on the couch and I'm just crying. And I'm like, I'm just having these kind of panic attacks and anxiety. I just didn't know what yeah. was wrong with me. Went to the doctor and he put me on, uh, that's when he started me on medication, mm-hmm. um, which was like a form of... Uh, Antidepressant. Yeah, yeah. And I said to him, why, why, why do... People just get anxiety just like that. And he just went, God knows. You know, that's all he said to me. That was it. He's an Egyptian guy. But um, yeah, so. I probably know him. Is he a short guy? uh, Dark hair. A short guy. Yeah, he was out in the Kinross area. He was out there. Yeah, I think I know him. I forgot his name, but he's Egyptian. Yeah, Egyptian Christian guy, I think he was as well. Coptic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Coptic, yeah. That's what I reckon. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, so then I would basically Rafit, Rafit, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's my, he's my GP man. Is he? Yeah. No way. Yeah. <laughs> he's my got goodness. yeah, yeah. Wow, he's been going for years. Eh? So we used to have a, a GP who unfortunately passed away. Oh. Uh, he was our GP for a long, long time, and then we looked for one at uh, Florida where we live. Yeah. And. Um, Somebody recommended him to us, but he was working up here, up north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Whitford's. He's got a clinic at Whitford's. Yeah. And he works at maybe another two or three clinics. And then he opened a clinic at uh, Floriot. And he's, he's our family GP. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> small goodness. world, imagine this. <laughs> wow, and a Coptic guy, hey, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Great guy, really, really nice guy. No, he was. He was really good. Um, but obviously... Um, Another thing came up as well. Um, I had uh, 
three car accidents in the space of two weeks. So then... Because of anxiety, do you believe? No, they... um, I went to the doctors and uh, I said, look, I'm struggle focusing or whatever like that. And they diagnosed me with ADHD, put me on um, uh, what's called uh, dextroamphetamines, mm-hmm. um, which to me was great because... Great drugs. Yeah, great drugs. So you don't I have to function. <laughs> so I was in this place of like dextroamphetamines um, to get me through, antidepressants to bring me down. But boy, when you came off them, because... You know, I'd give them to other people in my group and stuff like that as well. I'd run out and then it's so many weeks until you get the next script. Yeah. And then you you have crash is horrible. Oh. Yeah. So a few days cold turkey. Yeah, well you just yeah, and you just you know, you're really emotional, you really kind of uh, you get anxiety and all those kind of things. So more and more with the kids in the mix and uh So you were having kids, you wanted to have kids, your wife wanted to have kids. Yeah, I, I, Hayley always wanted to be a mum. I was like kind of like along for the ride kind of, yeah. you know. But I was not opposed to having kids. Sure. Um, that's why I said when we first got married, I don't want kids straight away. I actually wanted to travel around. Yes. But Hayley wanted to do that later when we'd had kids and everything okay. was out of the way. So it was a kind of a... It was one part of our marriage that we had to settle early on. Yes. And I think uh, because I'd so ingrained in my mind about just traveling around in that i think for some reason it just really impinged like my um, ability to kind of function normally and Mm -hmm. build and so while you were on on in this stage of life where you Mm -hmm. know you're on on uh, medication uh how many children did you have at this stage uh three then three yeah you know and uh, and how was Haley handling all this were you working were you still operational yeah, I mean, there was, I was earning good money. Like, everything on the outside looked good. Okay. Like, I was always earning good money. Was she fully aware of what was going on and the difficulties you were going through? Yeah, she was. Um, she knew, obviously, with the anxiety and, and um, obviously with the with the drinking. But it's it's hard because you don't have any other reference point for what, well, what yes. is normal and what's yeah, yeah. not, you know, so... To her, she would just deal with it in her stride. And obviously, she would smoke weed as well. So it was like a, you know, to us, smoking marijuana wasn't a big thing. No. It was just like having a drink or or whatever like that, you know. It was very common. Mm. And possibly because the friends that you had always enjoyed the same thing. Yeah. Always enjoyed the same thing. Always. Well, you you grew up with it almost. Yeah. So then how long did this last? So it was another two years. um, And... uh, as I said, got spiraled worse with drinking and, um, you know, I was driving, drink driving, um, really bad. Um, at one time my wife phoned me, uh, and I would always tell her I'm being home soon. I wouldn't tell her where I was and I would just, you know, not answer the phone or whatever. But one time she, she heard me on the phone because I just thrown the phone down on the on the floor and, um, I was just kind of like, I was just possessed, you know, just like I want to kill myself, I want to drive it. All I was focused on was just taking this high-powered vehicle and, and just driving it straight into a tree and just, mm-hmm. and I'd had enough, you know, mm-hmm. didn't want to be around anymore. So, and she, she experienced that on the phone. Um, and yeah, I just, I just knew I was in a, in a real bad place. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But the thing is, is that obviously in our culture, we've got many kind of entertainment things that just keep us ticking along. Yeah, so yeah. Christmas was coming along. Yeah, yeah. Right. The next thing, the next thing all the time. Yeah, you just you just have these little bumps and you push through to the yeah. next thing. And so oh. it got to New Year's 2006. Um, i just come off a, a, a real long bender mm-hmm. um, with people around our house and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I... I was driving back from a, I was back at work, just got back at work. I was driving back from a failed kind of deal in Bunbury and I drove to Hillary's Boat Harbour. I went to this Crystal Reflections shop, the new agey shop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because that was always my go-to and read this book about this soul, this child soul being sent to earth. Okay. And he didn't want to leave his father. Yeah. You know, and... uh, it really broke me because the father was saying, I'll never leave you. I'll always be with you. You know, and I was like, oh, I've got to go. I've got to get out of here. And I went up to the tower. Just There used to be a tower above yeah. by uh, the Italian cafe. Yeah, I remember and, that. And then I just, up there, I just went, God, I'm I'm done. I'm, I'm yours. I've done nothing but abuse this life that you've given me. I'm yours. Take me, kill me, whatever you want to do with me I'm yours and it wasn't like a bright flash of light or yeah yeah. you know it was just a sudden that peace and uh, I stopped drinking the next day Mm -hmm. stopped smoking stopped smoking weed started exercising and doing instantly instantly like it was just radical like and for I started reading my bible uh, I didn't suffer with any uh, effects, withdrawal. withdrawal or anything, and um, even the medication you stopped. Even even the medication, no, there was nothing. Just that was it. And I would start reading my Bible. Yes, thrown through the Gospels because yep. before I tried to start from the beginning and go through, but just started with the <laughs> it wasn't Gospels. Not much fun. <laughs> wasn't much fun, especially when you get to the names. Um, and then um, about two weeks into it, I thought I best best go to a church or something. And then I found a church that was on a Sunday night at uh, North Shore Church in um, in Mindari there yeah. with uh, Pastor Bruce Chant mm-hmm. and um, started attending there and plugged in and that was it. Uh, it was it was just radical and um, Haley thought I'd lost the plot and uh, she was still, you know, she would still smoke weed and, you know, she was, like, we, she was a we're good trying, mom. We're trying to bring her into this new life that you discovered or no i um i actually didn't push her in any way um to her it was like well if it's working for him it's good for me it's good because it was everything was changing around i was like i took hold of the finances um had like a heap of debt um consolidated it start paying it off took no credit lines from any anywhere else or anything like that yeah um started to um you know, get really fit and healthy. I dropped like 30 kilos in, in six months um, from boxing, training, running, all yeah. that kind of stuff, eating properly. And uh, I, I never felt so good in all my life. Yeah. Um, and and uh, during that time, we also uh, had, uh, I think we had a miscarriage then. Um, that was a real kind of like fourth child yeah um and that was hard for Haley. then we 
uh, had, no, actually, I think we had Katie first. I think we had the fourth child first and then there was a miscarriage. But Katie um, was born with breathing difficulties. So she had to go on a CPAP machine and um, oh. and, and all that. And she was in uh, the children's hospital. Yeah. But it just spurred me into fasting and, and prayer and just seeing her. And Haley saw that as well. Um, and then I said, we... You were changing into fatherhood as well, weren't you, by this stage? Or still not? Yeah, I was... Well, I was um, engaging, you know, obviously with the kids more. Yeah. Um, you know, I was being more of a father than I'd ever been. And, um, you know, Haley was seeing, obviously, the change. Yes. But she didn't come to church for a whole year mm-hmm. before, you know, I uh, after my um, change there. Yeah. So uh, for her, she was just really seeing, you know, is this another fad like he's gone yeah. through like with all the others? Yeah. And then she saw it was solid and she saw the real change. Wow. So it was, it was really being lived out. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, the family saw the difference. I, um, you know, at work as well. Yes. Um, they, I was working at Phoenix Holden at the time, which is really ironic. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the... Uh, the devil. Yeah, the devil picture on there. Yeah. But um, they all saw the change as well. And the mocking and all that kind of stuff didn't... Bother you. Bother me. I wasn't selling as many cars, um, but I was still getting good money. Mm-hmm. And I was actually... The money was going a lot further. Yeah, the money was going further. I was getting good money and I I had a clear conscience yeah. when I was selling because people would say, is this had an accident? And I'd go, yes. And then they would go, okay, thanks, bye. And then, but when a good car came in, they managed to sell it and they'd come and they'd get good money. So I'd follow up guys and make sure I find them something good. So yeah, that, that all changed. But then obviously I felt led to go into um, to university. Um, I applied for ECU and got in. And uh, in 2007, I started university, and that was a three-year journey, really, of doing early childhood education. Um, That's when I really kind of became more of a um, father figure role, I suppose, in understanding the kids and the importance and everything. Really got in tune with life, didn't you? Yeah, I I loved it. Everything was just an adventure. So why early childhood? I'd always um, got on well with, with kids, you know. Young kids. Yeah. And, you know, I had young kids myself. Yeah. And I, I just felt like I could do something. Um, and how did you afford going to university? Uh, or study, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, or study. So this is the thing, and this is how supernatural it was. It was like, here I was earning like three-figure sum yeah. at, uh, the, in the car industry selling. And then going down to roughly around about twenty five thousand a year, and um, with four children, yeah, with four children. But obviously, at the time, the government changed a whole bunch of stuff. Yes, and so Haley was able to not have to work. And yeah. and as you know, in any other country in the world, you couldn't do it. Just doesn't happen. No, you couldn't. You know, absolutely. like I would have to work like twenty four seven to have this many kids, and Haley would have to work as well. Um, but more as I traveled down this path and got involved in ministry, yes. um, especially with uh, youth and that, the m- more I felt called in that direction and saw edu- the education sphere not really uh, calling me. And even my wife would say to me, I can't really see you as a teacher. Yeah. 
and probably because of my lack of administration skills at that time. But it did. Uh, the process was good for you. Very good. So the school was for you, not really for this. Your started career. to get used. Yeah, yeah. And that was important. Yeah, it because clicked. yeah, because ever when I was young, I was always told I was really bright, but don't ap- apply yourself. Yeah. But it felt like I was on like I, had, I didn't even I was not on drugs or ADHD medication, but I was just sharp and solid, and this thing was just firing and I was getting high distinctions it. yeah it was like it was literally like like massive restoration and I believed it yeah I was reading that word and it was alive and I was believing everything it was saying because yeah, I was living it I just I so when did Haley come to faith not until probably um for her it's like a real gradual process um she, so as I said she didn't come to church for for the first year yes and and so she shares with me how like her journey in that. But uh, first of all, you know, we went to a small group together, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, because they were like going on at me, so like you are married, aren't you? You're not just saying you're married and sporting a ring and whatever. So no, I am actually married. You'll meet her one day. And then she came to the small group. Yes. And then she started coming to church, mm-hmm. and she just thought it was all a bit weird, and you know, yeah. people raising their hands and. You know, um, but then she went on a ladies camp Yeah, because I wanted the kids to come to church as well. But to me in the background, I'm just like, I'm not forcing her. I'm not telling her to come. Sure. I'm just praying. Yeah. Lord have mercy, you know, and I would hold on to that scripture saying that the, you know, the unbeliever is sanctified through the believer yeah. in your marriage. Yeah. And, and, uh, gradually they, they came in and, you know, she, she went to a ladies camp and, it was her first encounter with the prophetic that yeah. kind of really woke her up. Yes. Because she um, met this woman there who was like, you know, they for prophetic words. And yeah. they were all the ladies getting prophetic words. Yeah. But she said this this woman was just so sharp. She yeah. was even saying telling me stuff that I'm thinking. Yeah. You know? And that's when she knew that there's something to this, there's something real. And then uh you know, she, she was still very much committed to family, yeah. committed to the kids, but more and more she started to to listen. She she started developing her own prayer life. Yeah, um, that was her development, and uh, you know, obviously me being involved in ministry and stuff like that. There was all the always the battles of like, she kind of felt like, oh, you're just Matt's wife, yeah. you know, and the focus yeah. was on me because, as you know, like in the church we sometimes gravitate to the loudest voice or the yeah. most charismatic person in the yeah. room and um, you know she was very solid a lot of I, f- I think as well a lot of because we had you know five kids then you know yeah. coming six kids and seven kids it was a regular thing like our family was growing in this church yes and uh, it wasn't until 2010 that uh, we merged with one uh, church, one church. Yeah. and uh that's when stuff began to come really like real and and really um, you know purpose driven yeah uh, purpose of the church and everything like that. So, so when did you make the commitment? I I mean I'm not I'm not too sure. Like I said, she she got baptized in like you know she she made the commitment to to follow Jesus and like I said, it was um, it's a bit of a bit of a blur but um i think it was around about 2000 and 
nine, I think it was. Okay. And she she got baptized. So a good you know, or two thousand eight, a good two years, I think after. Yeah. So fast forward to now, you are the executive pastor of one church. Yep. At um, the Light on the Hill Chapel. Yep. You are also part of the Southern Cross Association of Churches. Yep. Where you lead camps and other ministry initiatives for youth. Yep. You obviously run your youth group at your own church. Mm. You also minister in other churches. You lead worship at times. Yep. Um, what is it like today as a father, as a minister? How, what's your life like today? Eight children? Yeah. Husband? Yeah. It's, I was thinking about this the other day, actually. And, um, you know, if I could have seen myself back then. Yeah. And doing what I'm doing now and, and everything, it's 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 just so bizarre because I was thinking, well, what's my vision for the future and all this kind of yeah. thing, you know? And uh, I'm doing the thing that I envisioned doing back then. Yes. Uh, but it is, it is, I suppose, the most strangest kind of experience in doing all this because... It's a job, but it's not a job. Yeah. It's a way of life. It's at one time, it's it's kind of, you feel like the biggest hypocrite in the world. At other times, you feel like you're actually doing something for, for God. Yeah. You know, it's all these kind of ups and downs. But I'm just starting to see the kind of, the idea of legacy beginning to form. And uh, for me... Um, I think uh, if it wasn't for, I suppose, um, Pastor Paul in my life um, and being that rock-solid kind of father figure, um, I I don't know where I would be. I'd probably, you know, I think um, he stuck with me um, because I was not an easy puppy to manage, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, I was very much wanted to outreach and just tell people about Jesus all the yeah. time and go everywhere and do everything. And um, yeah, he yeah, he really kind of saw some uh, raw material that needed work, you know, mm-hmm. and, he, and he stuck by us. Um, I'd like to say it's all been like this excellent record of going through ministry, but I did some real damage to the youth ministry as well when I first was... When um, my... Um, church merged with the other church yeah at the time i was starting to kind of get involved with reform reform theology yes um very much you know listen to the paul washer stuff yeah it's kind of like hardcore reform theology and then we kind of merged into this uh church that's just like out there you know just free free like but just just free and just like off the rails i'm talking like like everyone we're going to stand on chairs and we're going to do you know what i mean <laughs> prophesy or we're going to do a fire tunnel and uh, a lot of stuff you know we had you obviously know like pastor candace and yeah all these other guys and um and it was just this kind of hotbed of just what's the next thing going to happen yeah. you know we just didn't know and i've been put in charge of youth ministry and uh i'd taken 
on a youth ministry that was kind of very young still. Yes. Our guys had merged. We lost a few people from our church because there was a church split over the merge. Yeah. yeah. And um, then Fraser Bucken came to, uh, to town and um, I went and listened to him at uh, Cornerstone and I was just really heavily impacted yeah. by his ministry of just you know being sold out totally for Jesus and I felt like I was just trapped again yeah. in this kind of ministry of like with the kids who I felt just didn't get it and then I felt like our church might be going off the rails because yeah. we've got no we're not reformed we're not you know all these it's a theology issue but really at the end of it was pride like pride had really seeped in yeah. I thought I was something yeah. because I could quote scripture because I knew theology I thought I was better than my leaders yeah. because I thought I knew better than them and yeah. uh, they've got it wrong and they're deceived and rah 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 and that was really not a cool place to be in um, because when you're deceived you don't know yeah. you're in deception so you just don't see it you just yeah. think you're right Yeah. And, and, and so Fraser came in and I thought you know what he said, like, if you want to come on a mission, we're going up Carnarvon. Yes. And I was like, yep, yeah, I'm there. So I went to youth that Friday and said, guys, I'm stepping down from youth ministry. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even tell Paul or... Oh. Yeah, yeah. It was... I'm telling you, I'm not, not, not proud of it. Um, and I told my leaders and said, right, you guys are running the show now. I'm, I'm out of here. I see you. You know? And bless them, like, even, like, you know... Uh, one of the one of the leaders made us a cake as well. <laughs> Going away cake, you know, and thank you for everything. Farewell. And then, like Paul, obviously, and, and Bruce and, and and Candace and Trish, they just had no idea. Yeah. Like this had happened, and uh, I I was just so set. Like, you know, I'm going, and poor Haley's in the background here. So I I go up north, and because she supports me and everything. Yeah. Like. She you, knew, was she with you or you went on your own? No, I went on my own. So she's with the kids. Yeah. And um, and look, I don't. I did have a miserable <laughs> time. That no, it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Like we saw people get healed, delivered, set free from demons. Like it was yeah. just like full on, and it was great. I felt alive. Yes. Uh, and then um, we had floods. The it was back in two thousand and ten when they had yeah. the big floods in Carnarvon, so yeah. we were stuck there, and. Uh, Obviously, the church didn't know what would happen with us. It just it all just happened, and Haley was stuck there, and you know people weren't speaking to Haley, and yeah. you know they were kind of like, "What's going on here?" And uh, she was telling me all this. I'm just getting even more angry. <laughs> but um, came, I said to her, "Look, just don't go to that church." She goes, "No, God hasn't told me to leave." Oh, yeah. So anyway, when I came back, rather than go to the church, I said, "No, we're going to a different church. Not not being a part of that church." And oh. uh, I kicked up such a stink she came with me to this church just down the road and uh, not even five minutes into this poor preacher preaching she just gets up and just walks out just and I like oh, a bit embarrassed so I walked out so I was like what's going on like what and she's in tears yeah and she says don't you ever ask me to disobey the Lord again wow and that was such a kick in the in the guts the pit of the stomach just went because it was like real for her and what have I done, you know? Yeah. And that's when this whole kind of, it just, it was like a slap, yeah. like a Holy Spirit slap out of deception, just like, what have I done, you know? Yeah. And so I just went off 
crying in the wilderness for a while, you yeah. know, and then I drive up to Paul and Trish's house and, you know, apologize, apologize. and say, I'm so sorry. You know, you did nothing wrong to me. I shouldn't have done that. And that started a journey of, uh, you know, doing outreach in the local community. They kind of kept me at a distance for a while. Yeah. Just because, you know, but um, Paul w- was given a word from God. Yeah. And uh, God told him that if you win with Matt, you're going to win with this generation. And um, because he saw the fatherlessness. Yeah. And uh, that, that that's what was driving everything. And uh, it was, it was, yeah, it was just so blatantly obvious apart, to, apart from me. Yeah. So insecure, so needed to be affirmed and yeah. needed ministry and all these other things to make me feel like I'm accepted, that yeah. I'm significant, yeah. that I have security. Yeah. And, and really, I just didn't have a father, you know. I had Heavenly Father, sure. but it was always like that kind of distance. And, um, and I, you know, believe everything, the, the truths of the Bible, what Jesus did for me, but that kind of, that kind of relationship didn't kind of exist in the real world for me. And that, uh, and I didn't trust Paul mm-hmm. because I thought, well, when, when are you going to leave? <laughs> you know, and, and that's the experience that I, my stepdad was a good guy. Yeah. Um, but from that father figure with my dad, it's just yeah. like, you know. I thought Paul was out for himself and, yeah. you know, just interested in his own ego and his own yeah. platform. But I was just really seeing myself through Paul. Yeah. It was really me I was looking at, not him. Mm. And uh, that's where I think all the mistrust and all that kind of stuff, but that had to be dealt with. Mm. And uh, yeah. What's the legacy you want to leave behind? Oh, The legacy I really want to leave behind is that I was and I was talking about this the other day um, is to actually raise up a generation mm-hmm. of of young people who actually know their father in heaven I want to see the church raise up spiritual fathers and mothers mm-hmm. in the faith I, I want that the church has been fractured by uh, secular ideas of generational gaps and all this yeah. kind of stuff and uh, I, I don't believe it's true yeah and um, I believe that there are so many guys not only my age but younger yeah who are fatherless mm-hmm. and we're living with an orphan generation yeah and so the legacy I want to leave is that to build um, especially what doing with Southern Cross with the camps is building relationships amongst the youth of future ministers future leaders yeah. and raising them in the church together and ministers like myself yourself and others being fathers and mothers and helping raise that next generation up and and if i know that i'm not the answer to all of it yeah but i think you know if if a lot of people get that vision yeah we're at least going to start the process, you know, and even if it starts the process, it's worth it. Yeah, we do our part. We do one shift in our generation towards that end goal. Exactly. Thank you so much, Matt, for opening up and sharing your life story no and uh, also the hope for the future. Well, friends, um, 
This is just so wonderful that you were able to join us and listen to this beautiful story. What an amazing life. What a turnaround. Only Jesus can do that. And uh, when you think about the legacy that Matt wants to leave and to build, it's just amazing. We do need spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. If you're watching this or you're listening to this podcast, ask yourself, who is my dad? Who is my spiritual dad? Who is my spiritual mother? If you don't have one, get yourself one as soon as possible. And then you yourself become a spiritual parent for the next generation. We need this. And uh, the season ahead is going to be a great season. Thank you for being with us. Please subscribe to our channel, wherever you're watching this or listening to this podcast. And join us for future testimonies and stories from down under. And uh, also, if you don't mind, please uh, share this and rate us. Uh, give us five stars. We really love five stars. We get our ranking a bit higher and more people can, uh, can get this. Also, do provide us with feedback and any comments that you have. We're always here to listen to you and we value you spending your time with us. May the Lord bless you and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.